Hey everybody, welcome to Props and Hops, powered by Dimers.com. I'm Matt Landis, and in this episode we'll work through the NFL wildcard weekend board through the lens of the best football gambling podcasts, plus some original analysis. We'll also talk some beer and break down some bets, and to set the tone right off the top, I thought it would be appropriate to mention that, yes, the playoffs are here, and that means we've got some bigger games in store, but that doesn't necessarily mean we're going to have bigger edges or the reason to make bigger bets. Often the contrary, we're looking at an extremely efficient market here, and paraphrasing a lesson in betting psychology from David Malinsky, the pain of losing a bigger bet is real, but so is the joy of winning a bet, even if it's a smaller one than you'd typically make. So let's be mindful of our wager amounts to maximize the fun and sanity during the NFL playoffs, and I think that sanity component's going to be important, especially this weekend. The NFL is trying to brand it as Super Wild Card Weekend because of the expanded playoff field, but I think that might be a bit of a misnomer. We've got more games, which is great, but there's not much super about a team with a losing record getting a home playoff game, or seeing Mitch Trubisky take the field, or seeing Cleveland finally breaking its playoff drought, but... The Browns are going to be depleted because of a COVID outbreak, and my intention here isn't to be a wet blanket, but to keep it real. This doesn't have to be a super weekend. We have a Super Bowl coming, thankfully, so let's take this weekend for what it is and have some fun with it. And on that note, let's kick things off and dive into what we're hearing. That's right, we're adding a new sound clip because before we go any further, it's time to acknowledge the worst fear on this podcast has been averted. It turns out a four-game winning streak while playing out the string wasn't enough to keep Anthony Lynn in place as the Chargers head coach. Speaking as a Chargers fan, I can only imagine the team with a competent head coach, and it's not a given the Chargers pick one. As I'm recording this Friday morning Pacific time, they may well be in the middle of their interview with Jason Garrett. I can almost hear him somewhere extolling the virtues of stubbornly sticking to a game plan and refusing to adjust until it's too late, but that said, at least the possibility of the Chargers getting a good coach is now on the table. So you're telling me there's a chance. And there's the real chance that with Justin Herbert on his rookie deal and cap space to add to strong talent that's already around him, this could be a special stretch in franchise history for an organization largely devoid of special moments. And I want to be clear that by saying this, the focus is on what I think is best for the future of the team, not looking backward and dancing on anybody's grave. By all accounts, Anthony Lynn is a stand-up person, and his impact in that sense will long outlive his tenure. People like myself and maybe the five or so other Charger fans in the world should be grateful for that. And moving on to something all football fans can be grateful for, whether wildcard weekend turns out to be super or not, it's the first weekend ever with six playoff games. Let's get to it. LOUD NOISES! That's right, the noise is definitely getting louder as the games get more important, but we can do our part to keep our process as sound as ever. To that end, I've spent the week listening to the most prominent handicappers on the best NFL betting podcasts, and this episode includes insights from 10 bettors across 6 podcasts, totaling about 10 hours worth of listening. I'll distill that down to about half an hour of the most actionable takeaways, including 9 bets, and among those bets are the most props we've featured on a show so far this season, also 1 bet each across the point spread total, team total, and teaser markets, plus an early Super Bowl wager locking in some value now that's probably not going to be available to us come Super Sunday. So we've got a lot of action to get to. Let's roll up the sleeves and dig into the board for Wild Card Weekend. 
First up, game one of a Saturday triple header, Indianapolis at Buffalo, Bills laying six and a half, total 51. And we have two likes on the Bills, Drew Dinsick and Andy Molitor from the Deep Dive podcast, also two likes on the Colts, Adam Chernoff from the Simple Handicap and TA from the Sharp Angles podcast. Quick note, TA took the Colts at plus seven, so you might want to consider a reduced amount at the current number of six and a half. And we also had one like on the under, Drew making it his best bet on the Matchbook podcast, and he also touched on the under on the deep dive. Looking at the Bills side, Andy said that the power ratings don't support this play for him, but the matchups show a huge edge for Buffalo, especially looking at the Bills' pass offense against the Colts' pass defense. Drew added that home field advantage shouldn't be as diminished in this setting as it has been in most settings throughout this pandemic-ridden season, and that's because there's going to be a small crowd, but it's going to be the first crowd of any size for a Buffalo home game this season, safe to assume the Bills players and Bills Mafia fired up about that. On the Colts side of things, Adam noted home field advantage typically gets a bit of a boost in the point spreads for the playoffs, but that could be overvalued in this week's lines because of the limited crowds, so he sees an advantage to the road teams when in doubt, and that point may be valid directionally, but I think the point Drew brought up about Buffalo having fans for the first time this season might mean that home field advantage isn't as limited in this specific game. Diving into the matchup, Adam notes the Colts' defense has a strong front seven. The secondary not as talented, but defensive coordinator Matt Eberflus very creative tailoring the game plan for his secondary to the opponent. Adam also thinks Stephon Diggs is going to be more limited than most people are assuming, so that could make the task easier for the Colts' secondary. And on the other side of the ball, Adam likes the Colts' ability to move the ball through the air against the Bills' secondary, and he also likes the Colts' ability to balance that out on the ground with Jonathan Taylor's recent emergence. T.A. touched on this point as well. And one more point Adam brought up, he sees this as being a possible distraction for the Bills with offensive coordinator Brian Dable interviewing for head coaching jobs. And there might be something to that. I sure hope the Chargers are in frequent communication with Dable. But I also know the Colts defensive coordinator Eberflus getting a lot of interest from teams for head coaching positions. And I don't recall Adam mentioning the distraction applying to the Colts side of things as well. T.A. added one more point to the case for the Colts, saying the current number reflects a tax for the Bills' strong recent form, and he gave the example the Bills closed minus 6 at Denver in Week 15, so if you compare that number to the Bills' minus 6.5 hosting the Colts this weekend, it implies the Broncos are almost as good as the Colts, when in reality, the Broncos are nowhere near as good as the Colts. Getting into the under, Drew's handicap started with this being a tough matchup for the Bills' offense against the Colts' defensive scheme. The Colts play a soft zone designed to limit explosive plays, and that's something Adam touched on as well, liking the Colts to keep the Bills in check when it comes to big plays. Drew added that in the short game, things might not be easy either for Buffalo. He expects Colts star linebacker Darius Leonard to swallow things up underneath. Drew also doesn't expect Cole Beasley to play. Plus, the Bills having a poor rush offense doesn't help matters either. On the other side of the ball, Drew notes the Colts have a banged up offensive line, and that could bode well for the Bills to generate pressure, Plus, the Bills have Tredavious White in their secondary. They can count on him as a shutdown corner. So Drew thinks the Colts' best bet to move the ball will be on the ground, and that shortens the game. That's good for a lower total. One more thing to mention here, on the Matchbook podcast, Suma implied we might see Josh Allen run more than we've seen so far this season. He noted Allen's rush attempts have been down this season, but he expects to see more designed runs in order to catch the Colts' defense off guard. And I think Suma could be onto something there. More to come a little later in the show. Up next, the Rams at Seattle. Seahawks laying three with extra vig, total 42. One like on the Rams, that came from Adam. 
Quick note, that came at plus three and a half, so consider a reduced amount at the current number of plus three if you're looking to back the Rams, although the reduced VIG on that plus three does soften the blow of missing the hook. Two likes on the under, Steve Fezzik on the Dream Preview and Even Money podcasts, as well as RJ Bell on the Dream Preview. And another note about a number that's moved, they like this at 42 and a half. I think the logic is sound, but the margin for error is getting awfully thin at the current number of 42. Looking at Adam's case for the Rams, he said Cooper Cup and Jared Goff likely back in action on on the other side of the ball, this is a great matchup for the Rams' strong defense against the Seahawks' offense, and Adam ultimately thinks this line gonna cross down through the three to two and a half once Jared Goff is announced as the Rams' starting quarterback. Looking at the case for the under from Fezzik and RJ, Fezzik led off saying the Seahawks' offense has declined and the defense has seen a resurgence as the season's progressed, and he also thinks there's some recency bias in play here. There was a misleading over in the Seahawks' win over the 49ers last week thanks to three late touchdowns. Fezzik also notes in the first two matchups between the Rams and Seahawks this season, the games produced totals of 29 points and 39 points, and that was with a healthy Jared Goff until late in the second game, so with these teams being really familiar with each other, he thinks the defenses will have the upper hand, and RJ agreed with that point. And again, I can understand the logic behind this handicap, but when we're talking about an NFL total as low as 42, I'm inclined to think any recency bias from Seattle's misleading final score last week, or the impact of these two teams' familiarity with each other, is firmly baked into the total. Moving on to the nightcap on Saturday, Tampa Bay at Washington, Bucks laying 8, total 44.5. One like on Washington, that came from TA. He got plus 8.5, so there's a smidge less value at plus 8. And three likes on the under, Drew on the Matchbook and Deep Dive podcasts, as well as the Hitman and RJ on the Dream Preview. Quick note, all three likes on the under came at 45, so I think a slightly reduced amount going to be in order at 44.5. We also did have three likes on Tampa Bay as a teaser leg. Those came from Suma and Drew on the Matchbook and Deep Dive podcasts, as well as Andy on the Deep Dive. Looking at the Washington side of things and getting to TA's handicap, from a matchup standpoint, he notes Tom Brady struggles against pressure, and Bruce Arians dials up a scheme that requires time in the pocket for deep routes to develop. TA doesn't think Brady gets the time he needs for that to happen. He also doesn't think that Mike Evans is healthy enough to be a factor in this one. And on the other side of the ball, TA notes Alex Smith safe as a game manager because he doesn't turn the ball over. I really liked one counterpoint Dan Pizzuta brought up on the Sharp Angles podcast, noting that Alex Smith posted a 3.2% interception rate this season, and that was his highest since 2009, and just last week, Smith threw two interceptions and he had a fumble. If Washington doesn't recover that fumble, or if Jalen Hurts can hit an open receiver in the end zone on fourth down, or if Hurts gets to finish the game and the Eagles win, we're not hearing that narrative anymore about Smith as a safe quarterback. So I thought Pizzuto wrapped up his counterpoint really nicely, noting that Smith, a great comeback story, but he still has the low ceiling he's always had, and now that high floor he used to have has come down considerably. So TA's point about the Washington offense is debatable, but his point about the Washington defense matching up against the Bucks offense ties in pretty nicely with the handicaps on the under. And looking at those handicaps from Drew, the Hitman, and RJ, Drew made the under a good bet down to the current total of 44.5. He expects the Washington defensive front to pressure Brady, and he notes the Tampa Bay offensive line has been regressing both in terms of injury and performance after a strong start to the season. The hitman made a similar point about the Tampa Bay offensive line struggling and the pressure Washington should be able to get in this one. And Drew notes on the other side of the ball, he's bearish on the Washington quarterback situation. He doesn't think it's out of question for the Bucks defense to pitch a shutout. He also notes the home field in Washington, no stranger to poor conditions, and if we see those poor conditions tomorrow night, that could slow down the game and really limit explosive plays. 
The hitman also weighing in on the under, he makes it good down to 44, noting Alex Smith clearly not 100%, and the same can be said for wide receiver Terry McLaurin and the team's best running back, Antonio Gibson, and the hitman sees little relief available from the Washington run game because he notes the Bucks defense number one in the league in yards per carry allowed, and when it comes to any predictive value, I think we need to take yards per carry with a huge grain of salt, but it does say something that the Bucks rank number one out of 32 teams when looking at that metric. RJ added he really likes the Bucks' defense, and on the other side of the ball, he expects the Bucks to be low variance if and when they're playing with a lead. He thinks conservative play calling gonna be the way to go to make sure they keep Brady healthy moving forward. Last note on this game, those three likes on Tampa Bay as a teaser candidate from Suma, Drew, and Andy. Basically a numbers grab, taking the Bucks down through those key numbers of 7 and 3. They couldn't find a good pairing partner for this weekend's board, but I have an idea on that. We'll circle back later. Moving on for now to the first game of Sunday's triple header, Baltimore at Tennessee. Ravens laying three with extra vig or three and a half with reduced vig, total 54 and a half. Two likes on the Ravens at minus three with that extra vig, Suma making them his best bet on the Matchbook podcast. He also touched on this on the deep dive where he was a guest this week, and Adam also on the Ravens. One like on the Titans, Dave Essler on the Dream Preview, taking them at plus three and a half with extra vig. We also had one like on the over, that came from TA when the number was 54, so another case of a line moving a little bit over the course of the week, consider a slightly reduced amount if you're looking to play the over at 54.5. Looking at the Baltimore side of things, Suma likes them at minus 3 and he says that's good up to minus 120. He notes that in the last two meetings between these teams, the Titans have gone in as the underdog but won outright, and he thinks we're seeing an overreaction to those two results. Suma notes last year in the divisional round, the Titans' defense was much better than it is now, and the Ravens' rush defense was much worse than it is now. Adam also touched on the divisional round game from last year, noting the Ravens put up more than 500 yards, so the fact they only put up 12 points, really a big outlier. And I'll add to this, the Ravens won yards per play in that matchup, they were done in by variance with a lot of noise, but minimal signal if we're looking for anything predictive moving forward. The Ravens in that game, 0 for 4 on 4th down, 1 for 4 in the red zone compared to 3 for 3 for the Titans, and the Ravens also went minus 3 in turnovers. And Suma also notes in the Week 11 matchup this year, the Ravens were without two of their best run defenders to start the game, then they lost two more key defensive players during the game, and even though they were banged up, they shut down Derrick Henry for three quarters, he thinks they wore down late because they were so short-handed, and they're likely going to be at full strength this week, Adam echoed this sentiment, that's one of many shared points between Suma's and Adam's handicaps. Suma also notes the Titans likely to be the shorthanded team this time around, especially with a key injury along their offensive line, another point Adam touched on. And beyond the last two meetings, Suma said that right now the Titans' defense is simply horrible, he can't see them stopping the Ravens' offense. This is yet another point Adam echoed, NTA addressed it in his case for the over. And to wrap up his handicap, Suma touched on a common narrative going around this week, the Ravens' weak schedule down the stretch. Essler played this up in his case for the Titans. Suma acknowledged that it's true the Ravens did have a weak schedule to finish the regular season, but they can't control their schedule. Instead, they can control how they play, and the Ravens have dominated lately. Once again, a point that Adam made as well when making his case for the Ravens. Also on the Baltimore side, one note from Fezzik. He said he liked the Ravens on even money, then backed off that position on the Dream Preview, but I think he did bring up a fair point on even money in his rationale for Baltimore, and that would be a fatigue factor for the Titans. They didn't get a true bye week all season long because of their COVID outbreak in the early going, and the Titans have played five of their last seven games on the road, so I think we can take away from Fezzik's analysis here that this is a rare case in the playoffs of the road team quite possibly being more well-rested than the home team. 
And speaking of the home team, looking a little deeper into Esler's handicap on the Titans, he said their defense's weakness is against the pass, but that's not the strength of the Ravens' offense. And that may be true, but just because the Titans can't defend the pass doesn't mean they're any good against the run. It's a putrid defense all around. And Esler also noted the Ravens' defensive weakness is against the run, and that could be a problem going against the Titans' offensive strength with their ground game. But I think Suma and Adam addressed this pretty well when they mentioned the Ravens handled the Titans' rush pretty well for most of that first matchup this season despite being short handed, Baltimore is much healthier now, and they're in a better position to contain Henry for the full game. Looking at the over, TA says he sees value in part because, as a lot of people have noted, that Week 11 matchup only produced 50 points, and that includes a touchdown in overtime, but TA notes that in that Week 11 game, almost every drive ended in points. The issue was that there were six field goals, including four kicked from inside the 15-yard line, so with any positive red zone regression, we could see way more points in the Ravens-Titans matchup on Sunday. Up next, Chicago at New Orleans, the Saints laying 10, total of 47, one like on the Bears, that was Matthew Holt on the Dream Preview, one like on the Saints, that was TA, got a note, he liked them at 9.5, so consider a reduced amount if you're looking to back the Saints, if there's even any value remaining at minus 10. As far as the total goes, we had one like on the under, that came from Drew on the Matchbook podcast, and we also had three likes on the Bears team total under, Suma on the Matchbook and Deep Dive podcasts, along with Drew and Andy making the Bears team total under their secret podcast play this week. Looking at the Bears side of things, Matthew Holt said he's seeing a fundamental change with the offense since reinstating Mitch Trubisky as the starting quarterback. He sees them giving Trubisky more freedom, and he also thinks the low total in this game calls for an extremely high degree of dominance for the Saints to cover a double-digit spread, and if the Saints have a big lead late, the back door could still be wide open for the Bears to come in and cover. On the Saints side of things, T.A. posted his pick plus some context on Twitter. He noted Trubisky somehow hasn't faced a single defense in the top 13 in DVOA this season, and in three games against the two best defenses Trubisky has faced, one game against the Falcons at number 14, two games in division against the Packers at number 17, Trubisky's only averaged 5.6 yards per attempt, he's committed five turnovers, and he's led the Bears' offense to less than two points per drive. That's more than 10% below the league average of 2.2 two points per drive. And to add to this, TA notes the Saints come in with the number two defense in the league according to DVOA, so they'll be by far the best defense Trubisky will have faced this season. That point ties in nicely with Drew's handicap on the under. Drew makes the under good down to 46, and he thinks the current total bakes in Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas returning to action and being at full strength, but I will note we've seen the market very reactive to injury updates this season, even when they've only confirmed what we already knew, so we may see this total tick up when Kamara and Thomas are officially announced as being a go. As far as the Bears team total goes, again, Suma, Drew, and Andy liked that one. And they mentioned liking this down to 17.5, but since they recorded, we're seeing 18.5 as a widely available team total you can bet under for the Bears without paying any extra VIG. And the angle, similar to TA's handicap for the Saints and Drew's handicap for the full game under, basically the Saints defense representing a major step up in class for Trubisky and the Bears offense. And this bet's a way to isolate the sentiment looking to fade the Bears offense and play on the Saints defense. Moving on to the wildcard weekend edition of Sunday Night Football, Cleveland at Pittsburgh, Steelers laying six, total 47 and a half, and there's a lot of uncertainty around this one with the Browns' COVID outbreak. It's tough to quantify the absence of Kevin Stefanski as the team's head coach and play caller, but we did have a bet in this game, RJ on the Dream Preview, making his best bet, the Steelers minus six. RJ notes the market moved two points from Steelers minus four to minus six when the news broke that Stefanski would miss the game, but he also says the move from four to six 
a relatively insignificant two-point move since five is a dead number. RJ also thinks it works in the Steelers' favor that the Browns will be without key offensive lineman Joel Batonio due to COVID, and the Browns also dealing with a disrupted practice week with their facility often shut down. So all things considered, RJ said the Steelers more attractive in his eyes at minus six than they were at minus four before the news broke, and he also likes the element of variance in this game and the sense that if the Steelers jump out to an early lead and the Browns have to get pass heavy, things could really snowball in the Steelers' favor, especially with Baker Mayfield's documented struggles under pressure, and that was on full display in this matchup when these two teams went head-to-head -head in Pittsburgh in week six, and the Steelers won it going away. Alright, that'll do it for our run-through of the wildcard weekend board. We'll get to quite a few bets shortly, but first it's time for a beer break. Let's dive into what we're drinking. Alright, so with the biggest playoff slate ever on deck this weekend, that means quite a few early games for those of us on the West Coast, and we want to have a good time while keeping our wits about us. That makes this week's selection Bad Ombre Mexican-style lager by Boomtown Brewery in Los Angeles. Bad Ombre clocks in at 4.8% ABV, the appearance clear golden orange, effervescent with a pillowy white head, and it's also got some eye-catching can art. I'll post a photo on Instagram, at props and hops. In terms of the aroma and flavor, Bad Ombre is extremely clean with a hint of spice and some floral notes, the mouthfeel refreshingly light and crisp. Overall, this is your classic lawnmower beer in the words of Boomtown's head brewer. It's an ideal style for a little day drinking on wildcard weekend. And as a quick programming note, we'll hear from Boomtown's head brewer and his business partner about a special project they have brewing, and that's going to be coming in a bonus interview episode dropping early next week. For now, if we're drinking bad ombre, we might as well work to uncover some good edges for the wildcard weekend portfolio. Let's move on to what we're betting. I'm shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on in here. And there's quite a bit of gambling going on in here this weekend. Again, no huge bets, but where we can find small edges, it's worth putting those into play. One side in pocket this weekend, that would be the Ravens minus three, good up to minus 120, or three and a half at even money or better. And I make this good for eight tenths of a unit. The Ravens would be a bigger favorite if not for the overreaction I think we're seeing to the Titans' wins in the last two head-to-head -head meetings. Also, the Ravens' recent schedule is a narrative that seems to be getting out of control. Unlike the last matchup between these two teams, the Ravens are the team closer to full strength. The Titans are the ones who could be shorthanded on Sunday. Looking at one total this week, the Bucks washington game to go under 44.5, also for 8 tenths of a unit. I expect the Washington defense to get pressure on Tom Brady and disrupt the Bucks offense. And on the other side of the ball, it's a pretty dire quarterback situation for Washington. The stout Bucks defense could have its way. And I'm also making this for 8 tenths of a unit because we could have had the under for as good of a number as 46.5 earlier in the week. So at 45.5 or better, I think this total would warrant a full unit bet on the under. But I doubt we see that number again, barring any big news. One team total going in pocket as well for this weekend, the Bears under 18.5. This is a bet that Mitch Trubisky's production down the stretch has been a mirage against a slew of cakewalk defenses, with the Saints defense representing a major step up in class. Also playing one teaser this weekend, taking the Bills down to minus half a point hosting the Colts and pairing them with the Bucks minus two at Washington. Also making this bet for eight tenths of a unit. Quick note, I recommend using different unit sizes for different types of bets. For example, this teaser for me is a bigger bet than the Ravens side or the Bucks Washington under because teasers involving key numbers tend to offer bigger edges than sides and totals in the NFL. In this teaser, we're basically taking two superior teams and asking them to do little more than win outright 
and the teaser odds give better value than a Moneyline parlay. The Bucks are a clear fit in a teaser leg since we can take them down through the key numbers of 7 and 3. The Bills, not quite as strong of a fit since they don't cross through 7, and that does diminish the value of the points we're buying in a teaser, hence this bet being for 8 tenths of a unit instead of a full unit. But when we look at the money line price for the Bills game, and that's basically what we're taking since the Bills are teased down to minus half a point here, that money line price presents just enough of an edge to bet on that outright win for the Bills and pair it with the Bucks. So here's a brief walkthrough on that money line equation. When we're playing a two-team six-point teaser, standard minus 120 odds, that minus 120 price tag implies that we need to win 54.5% of the time in order to break even. And with two legs in a teaser, we need each one of those to hit 74% of the time on average. That backs us into 74% times 74%, hitting that 54.5% threshold of both legs cashing for a winning teaser. So with that in mind, if we factor out the VIG here and look at the true money line for the Bills, it's right around minus 270. And a money line of minus 270 implies the Bills have a 73% chance of winning this game. That's just shy of that 74% threshold we're looking for for each leg. Quick note, that's definitely still good enough if you have access to 6-point teasers for minus 110 odds, but I do still think the Bills are okay to include at minus 120 here because we're pairing them with the Bucks, and the Bucks have a true money line this weekend of minus 350. That gives them a 78% chance to win, and there's a very slim chance that they win by only one or two, and I think that makes the Bucks a much stronger than average teaser candidate, so if we need to pair them with somebody, the Bills have just enough value to get in play as that second leg. Alright, so I'll reset for a second. I know that was a lot of math, but I think it's important to understand what the numbers say about the value behind the types of bets we're making. And backing away from the math, I also like a subtle edge here for the Bills. With this being the playoffs, there can't be any ties, and that means we can't lose the Buffalo leg of the teaser on a tie, so essentially we're getting a 7-point teaser with the Bills, taking them from minus 6.5 up to plus half a point, and along the way we're only paying for 6 of the 7 points that we're effectively getting. So this type of bet with the Bills has slightly more value as a playoff bet than as a regular season wager. Another edge I'm seeing here that gives me the confidence to pull the trigger on this teaser, lines tend to be more efficient in the playoffs. We have fewer games, they're higher profile games, and they attract a lot more attention from the betting market. That makes it tougher to beat point spreads and totals, but it can be really good for teasers, because when we're working with more efficient lines, that implies less variance, and less variance is good for the relative value of each point we're buying in a teaser. So again, I know this handicap has gotten into the weeds, but that's what it takes sometimes to uncover edges worth playing at this stage of the season. Bottom line, the Bucks have a clear edge to cover their leg of the teaser, and the Bills check out as a second leg to pair with the Bucks, and this is largely a numbers grab. For context, if you want to do a money line parlay on the Bucks and the Bills, you're going to have to lay about minus 145, and we know a Bills win by any margin covers their leg of the teaser, and since it's very unlikely the Bucks win by only one or two, I make the teaser a clear better bet than the money line parlay since a teaser at most books is only going to cost minus 120. One last note here, I also like that the Dimers bot at Dimers.com shows a healthy edge on Buffalo getting the win outright. Based on 10,000 simulations of the game, the Dimers bot says the Bills should win 80% of the time. Alright, so that might be the longest breakdown we're ever going to hear for a bet on this podcast, and whether that teaser wins or loses, I stand by the process, but after all that time and detail, I sure as hell hope the teaser comes through. Moving on to some props for this weekend, want to note right off the top, the unit size for props, heavily dependent on the number you can get as lines tend to vary significantly from one book to another, so the plan is to keep all prop bets in the range of 8 tenths of a unit to 1.2 units, with bigger bets reserved for bigger edges, and always keeping 
exposure in check even for the biggest edges because those vagaries have a way of coming into play from time to time. First prop bet in pocket this weekend, Josh Allen rush yards over 31 and a half. Allen's rush attempts have been down this year, and I think we're likely to see more design runs for him in the playoffs. This might be out of necessity for the Bills to move the ball, especially if the notions are correct that the Colts will be able to limit their explosive pass plays and their more conventional ground game with running backs can get held in check. And when it comes to running quarterbacks, I'm seeing some parallels between Allen this year and Patrick Mahomes last year. We've got a mobile quarterback, but it's really important to keep them protected during the regular season, and then they can get unleashed when it matters most in the playoffs. So for some context here, Allen's regular season average was 26 rushing yards per game. In this spot, I'd make his total get up to 33.5, and I'm seeing 31.5 out there. I've got that in pocket, but another friendly reminder, keep that wager amount in check, especially with the Bills being a heavy favorite in this game. That increases the odds of some kneel downs at the end of the game, and those do count against a quarterback's rushing total. Just ask anybody who bet Mahomes rush yards over in the Super Bowl this past year. That one was looking like a slam dunk until Mahomes conceded 15 yards in the the last minute of the game to bleed some clock. So as always, even when there's a good enough edge to get in play, be mindful of that exposure. Next prop for this weekend, Titans, Ravens, punts under six and a half. I was nudged in this direction from my friend Hector. He's a great follow on Twitter at SH8Model, and he shares strong information across the board. It's been particularly profitable following along with the punt and sack props he posts. And earlier today, Hector also posted some outstanding information from a playoff manifesto he put together, so check it out on Twitter. You don't want to miss it. And to be clear, what follows is my handicap, but I'm encouraged that it sounds like his model will also support this play. So from a math standpoint with this Titans-Ravens punts under 6.5 prop, similar to the shortest touchdown prop all season, a recurring theme, it's good to have the highest total on the board. In this case, this game's lined at 54.5. That indicates more drives will end in points rather than punts. For example, last time these teams met in Week 11, they put up 50 points and there were 5 punts in that game. Only 4 of those came in regulation. From a matchup standpoint, it helps that both teams are run-heavy. In fact, there were more rushing attempts than passing attempts in that Week 11 game, and even though both teams are run heavy, they still put up 50 points and it could have easily been more with a little positive red zone regression. So the rush attempts keep the clock moving, effectively shortening the game, and each of these teams is efficient enough to still score a lot while rushing a lot. And even when they're not scoring, a shorter game equates to fewer possessions, and that means fewer opportunities for either team to punt. Beyond the math and the matchup in play, I also like all the different paths to victory here. Aside from drives ending in points, without punting, the possibilities include an interception, a lost fumble, a turnover on downs. I specifically like that one with both of these coaches. I think John Harbaugh and Mike Frabel are too smart to punt on fourth and two from midfield. In those types of situations, it's well worth risking the turnover on downs and going for it instead of punting. A lot of drives also end with kneel downs at the end of either half, and there's also the possibility of some missed field goals. That's pretty unlikely on the Ravens' side with Justin Tucker in this game, but as we know from this season, the Titans' kicking game more than makes up for that possibility. So between the math, the matchup, and all the paths to cashing the under 6.5 punts, I think that one's worth putting in your wildcard weekend portfolio. I'm seeing it available at minus 120, and I make it good up to minus 130. And two more props. These will be pretty familiar for regular listeners. Colts-Bills, shortest touchdown under one and a half yards. 
and Ravens Titans shortest touchdown under one and a half yards. As a quick primer for both of these shortest touchdown under props, these games have the two highest totals on the wildcard weekend board and more points good for the possibility of more touchdowns with more touchdowns being good for the possibility of some one yard touchdowns. Looking at the matchups in the Colts-Bills game, Josh Allen brings a dual threat dynamic to the goal line, and Bills offensive coordinator Brian Dable has also shown a willingness to get creative with his play calling. And on the other side of the ball, the Colts have shown a lot of improvement with their ground game recently. They should be able to punch it in from the one if given the chance. I'm seeing minus 145 for this prop in the Colts-Bills game, and I make it good up to minus 155. Looking at the Ravens-Titans side of things, as touched on in the punts under prop, this game has the highest total on the weekend board, and the Ravens might be living near the goal line. They've got a stout run game and a dual-threat quarterback in Lamar Jackson, so short touchdowns are quite possible when they have the ball. And on the other side of the ball, Titans offensive coordinator Arthur Smith has also been creative with his play calling. Tennessee has been strong from just outside the goal line all season. I'm seeing this prop available for the Ravens-Titans game at minus 155, and I make it good up to minus 170. One more bet worth putting into pocket before the action kicks off this weekend, a bet on the early Super Bowl line, NFC winner plus three and a half against the AFC winner. From a power rating standpoint, the Chiefs, Bills, Packers, and Saints are all clustered at the top within about one point of each other, and in the next year, the Ravens and Bucks are neck and neck, so there's minimal separation between the best teams in each conference, and even if we happen to draw the AFC's best team in the Chiefs against the NFC's third best team, the Bucks, I still see clear value at plus three and a half on the NFC side of that equation. And if neither the Chiefs nor Bills win the AFC, I think four of the five next best teams come from the NFC, so there's the possibility that we could be holding a plus three and a half ticket on a team that goes off as the favorite on Super Sunday. Bottom line here, there's a multitude of potential matchups with this year's expanded playoff field. Anything can happen, but looking at a lot of the more likely matchups, there's a strong edge almost across the board with the NFC team plus three and a half. My recommended angle to get in play on this, eight tenths of a unit on the plus three and a half, and then put another two tenths of a unit on the money line at plus 150 or better, since the NFC champion's gonna have a very real chance to win the game outright if they cover the spread of plus three and a half. Alright, so here's a rapid-fire recap to keep track of all the action. Ravens minus 3.5 at even money. Bucks Washington under 44.5. Bears team total under 18.5. One teaser, the Bills down to minus half a point paired with the Bucks minus 2. Four props, Josh Allen over 31.5 rushing yards. Ravens Titans under 6.5 punts. Colts Bills shortest touchdown under 1.5 yards. And Ravens Titans shortest touchdown under 1.5 yards. And last but not least, a bet on the early Super Bowl line, NFC champion, plus three and a half against the AFC champion. All right, and the Malinsky Minute's going to be a little bit different once again this week. I was inspired by my recent conversation with former Dodgers general manager Fred Clare, and I released that conversation as a very special bonus episode earlier this week. He's one of few people I'd put in the pantheon with Dave when it comes to wisdom, strength, and character. And my interview with Fred's available to watch on Dimers.com. I'd encourage checking that out. I also wrote an article for Dimers.com about three quotes that stood out from my conversation with Fred. And a lot of what he said stood out because it's so wise and we can still apply it to our daily lives. So I'll include links to that interview and the article in the show notes for easy reference. But I had one quote from the article prepared to speak to in today's Milinski Minute. And I think it's time to call an audible. I'm still going to share some words of wisdom from Fred. 
but these will be different awards than planned after the massive loss of Baseball Hall of Famer and Dodgers legend Tommy Lasorda. I think the concept here is fitting for a Malinsky minute because few people were better than Dave at capitalizing on any opportunity when it presented itself, and that notion of seizing opportunity will come into focus shortly. So here's Fred speaking in an episode released three days ago, just two days before Tommy's passing, on Fred's reconciliation with Tommy at Dodger Stadium back in 2017 after a couple of rocky decades and a friendship that lasted more than 50 years. I knew I would probably see Tommy, and we had certainly drifted apart uh, in uh, recent years, and I didn't like that feeling at all. And I, I, sometimes I think about these things and I think, this just didn't happen by chance. I, I don't know how it happens, but you can't script some of, this, some of the things that happen in our lives. And so here comes Tommy. He'd been in the hospital. Uh, I had undergone surgery for cancer uh, and initially not a very good forecast. And so we came up to Tommy and uh, he was in this kind of wheelchair uh, motorized part where he was kind of moving along as so they stopped there. And I leaned over and put my arm around him and said, Tommy, I love you. And he said, Fred, I love you. So this was a, a relationship that began more than 50 years ago. Uh, and the relationship was so strong. Um, and then it shows that every close relationship like that, family or otherwise, it's never too late to uh, reconnect. It's never too late to tell somebody that you care for them or you love them, no matter whether there might have been a division. Because it's never been more true. If we don't do those things and the opportunity presents itself, we may never have the opportunity to do those things. So Tommy and I, from that time, <laughs> have had the best of times. All right, and it would be just about impossible to add any value on top of what Fred just said, so I'll let his words speak for themselves. And I'll go ahead and thank you for listening to this episode. If you found any value, please share it with a friend who could benefit as well. Quick programming note, early next week I'll be back with another bonus interview episode, this one devoted to beer, putting the hops in props and hops, and I'll also be back next Friday to break down the divisional round, so I'll talk to you early and often next week. Until then, enjoy the first weekend ever with six NFL playoff games, and as always, let's bet well, let's drink well, and let's be well. Mm-hmm.